Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Father Ed Meeks. He's a Catholic priest of the Ordinate of the Chair of St. Peter, the founding pastor of Christ the King Church in Townsend, Maryland. Prior to becoming a priest, Father Ed had a career in human resources in several Baltimore firms. He and his wife Jan were married in 1970. They have four grown children, 17 grandchildren, and many years as a priest in the charismatic Episcopal Church. And then the Anglican Church in America. Father Meeks was ordained to the Roman Catholic as a Roman Catholic priest in June of 2012. Father, thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you, Deacon Jeff. And I, I watched your show on the journey home. So if anybody wants to know your whole story, I encourage them to uh, type your name in with Journey Home. It's a, it's a great story, uh, kind of a reversion story, but. The reason we're talking today is, one, because I, I've watched your homilies on YouTube. So for those who are interested, go just type in Father Ed Meeks on YouTube. But you speak with such clarity and passion in a time where clarity and passion aren't always the order of the day. Uh, how important is that, that, that clarity and truth is spoken from the pulpit? It's vitally important, Deacon Jeff. Um, unfortunately, there's uh, there's been a real watering down of the truth in uh, not only in our culture, but um, but sadly in the church as well. Um, and you know, there are any number of reasons why that is so. I think one of the uh, one of the primary reasons is um, is fear. The uh, the cancel culture has been very effective in keeping they and keeping them from uh, from speaking the truth and so uh, we have to resist that um, you know we are we are to be a people of the truth we uh, as Catholics we uh, we stand for the truth and uh, and the scriptures admonish us to speak the truth in love at all times well and especially in such a dark culture with all the things that are going on uh, you know truth is the light right and people are desperately searching for that light and the truth, and you do it not only with clarity, but with passion. I, I bet you get a lot of, you know, I'm sure there are detractors, but I bet you get a lot of people just saying, Father, thank you for saying that, don't you? I do, and you're right, there are lots of detractors as well. <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, that, I do seem to bring them out of the uh, out of the woodwork uh, <laughs> from time to time. So, <laughs> Well, you know, as you mentioned, right, you know, fear can really lead people to not tell the truth, but really fear is of the evil one. I know we're going to talk about your homily on, you know, politics is not our religion, but I encourage people to go on there because you did another uh, great homily on the devil and how he works. And, and you really kind of took the cloak away and just showed his games. And I think people need to see that as well, because that fear of speaking the truth is really uh, succumbing to the lies of the evil one, isn't it? Sure. And the biggest lie that the evil one tries to perpetrate in the world today is that he doesn't exist. You know, the, uh, our culture is, uh, is kind of uh, part of the fruit of the Enlightenment. And uh, the Enlightenment has, in many ways, has gone to seed in this culture uh, and has, has uh, become a kind of hyper-rationalism where faith has no, no place in people's lives. And so if they can't see it, feel it, hear it, taste it, or empirically prove it, they don't believe in it. 
and uh, and that of course plays right into the hands of the of the evil one because uh, if he's able to deceive you to that point, then uh, then he has a better chance of controlling your life. Well, and we see, unfortunately, he's doing way too good of a job, which is why clarity and truth need to be spoken. Now, you gave a homily, uh, I don't know, it was a couple months ago, a month ago, on politics is not our religion. What what prompted you to, to talk about that and really make sure people understand that we can't be disciples of Republicans or Democrats, we're disciples of Jesus Christ? Right, amen. Um, by around the third week in January, I was, I was beginning to notice and and encounter lots and lots of Catholics who were very discouraged and very dispirited over the election in November and then the events of uh, of the first couple of weeks in in January and it occurred to me that uh, that one of the things that's that politics particularly the way it has played itself out in in our society today politics can really help you to lose help you to lose your sense of perspective and put way too much weight uh, in, uh, in, the, in the political realm where it ends up controlling your thought life and therefore controlling your life. And so I, I decided that, uh, that it would, was important to bring that perspective back, at least to my own flock and anyone else who, who might hear, uh, hear the homily. But um, it, it's... Um, one of the things that has occurred to me as, a, uh, as j- just observing the culture is that for some people, uh, both on the, as I said in that, in that homily, both on the right and on the left, politics has become a religion. I think it's much more prevalent on the left, and the reason why I say that is because the left has become the movement of, the, of anti-religion, anti-Christianity. They want to cleanse the culture of every vestige of, uh, of Christianity and every reference to God. And so, you know, in their own lives, I think people who do that have a void. You know, there's a, there's a very important void that, um, that, uh, that, that our religion fills. Um, Blaise Pascal, the 18th century French Catholic philosopher, was the one, I think, who first coined the phrase or coined, coined the expression that, uh, that every human being is created with a God-shaped vacuum, and people try to fill that God-shaped vacuum sometimes with a lot of things, and, and uh, very commonly, again, in this culture, what they try to fill it with is politics. And so as faithful Catholics, it's important for us to maintain the right perspective, to understand that, that politics is not our religion, or as I said in, in that homily, uh, we have we have a religion. We don't need we don't need the religion of politics. One of the things that also kind of uh, uh, um, moved me in that direction was something that um, that I read uh, by an, a brother priest who is a priest of the uh, the diocese of Arlington, Virginia, Father Jerry Pokorsky. Um, if you don't mind, I, ha- I actually have his quote in front. No, of go right ahead because you mentioned it in your homily, and I think people need to hear I, it. I did. Yeah, yeah. He, he he wrote this in on CatholicCulture.org. Quote: Many of you have been fighting the good fight for years. You have remained faithful in marriage. You have provided for the temporal and spiritual needs of your families. You have voted pro-life and supported pro-life causes. You have fought the same the sex education ideology in our schools. You have honored the rule of just laws. You carry the scars to prove it. 
the disdain of some members of your family, the loss of friends, lost job opportunities, and walking on politically correct eggshells at work. Many of you have even suffered unjust insults from some church authorities. So some of you may think you have a special right to a paralyzing and devastating discouragement. No, you don't. <laughs> and that's the end of the quote. And so that was that was part of what what motivated me to uh, to preach that homily on that day. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, we you know we're as Americans are uh, I, to be kind, soft, right? Can you imagine the early Christians, us whining to them? about uh, what's going on today, and they're just looking at us thinking, yeah. oh my gosh, you guys, have, you don't have a clue. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, when, when on any day you could be eaten by a lion, you know. <laughs> or, or, or inflamed as a torch to light the streets. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, we're, we're, we're unhappy because we feel a little uncomfortable, or somebody might cancel us if we don't yep. speak the truth, and they, they would, uh, they, they'd be rolling over in their graves if they saw how weak we were. That's that, exactly right. Now, you know, one of the things that, that I have noticed, um, you know, speaking to uh, pastors of other faith communities uh, to try to get them su- to support things like abortion, gender ideology, religious freedom, is they say, you know what, it's too political, so I, I don't want to get involved. And then I, you know, the question everybody has to understand is every moral issue has been hijacked politically. You can't use that as an excuse, otherwise you don't defend anything, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And of course, the three that you mentioned are are the the three paramount non-negotiable moral values that were identified by uh, so frequently by Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, those are the ones where we have to draw a line in the sand, and whether you know we're, whether we're accused of being overly political or not, we have to take a stand for the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, and religious liberty, because all three of them are under assault in this culture today. And, and if we don't stand up and say this far and no more, then we will wake up one day with uh, with all of them gone, all of all of them uh, on the the dustbin of history. Yeah, and I don't want to, you know, extrapolate too far from your homilies, but I, I really get the sense that when you're preaching, you know, your focus is on saving souls, right? In the end, anything short of having, being saved and, and our salvation, we lose. And if we don't have that mindset, then we're not going to tread where we need to go, are we? That's right. That's right. Yeah, and that's why I, you know, I, I preached a homily in uh, in the lead up to the uh, to the election, and and um, you know, people have accused me of taking sides politically, of of uh, making a political endorsement. And as I said in that homily, the issues that we're talking about here transcend politics; they are profound, fundamental moral issues that the church has always taken a strong stand on. And we cannot be the generation that allows them to lapse, that allows them to just fall by the wayside. Well, and, you know, now, you know, the big talk is the Equality Act that, you know, is going to go back. It'll pass the House, probably won't get the votes needed in the Senate to, you know, withstand, uh, you know, being overridden. So they probably won't get to 60. But the bottom line is, you know, we lose religious freedom. I don't think people have a clue what that means. Right. I mean, I think it's this, you know, we need to be this false compassion narrative out there that, you know, we want to embrace everybody. But if Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth and the life, 
and God is love, then if we don't speak the truth, then we really don't love those that we're trying to help, do we? That's right. Yeah, one of the most uh, loving things a person can do is, uh, is, is point out the truth to them. Um, and then the truth, of course, relates to eternity. You know, this isn't our home. This is, this is the journey. This is the, the sojourn. Heaven is our home. Heaven is our destination. That's where we need to be directed. And so all of our lives uh, need, need to be pointed in the, uh, uh, on the focus of, uh, of finding our way to heaven. Well, and, and, and religion should shape our politics, not the other way around. And that's really what we're seeing today, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And, and the, along with that sentiment, the Church should be having a bigger impact on the culture than the culture has on the Church, and I'm afraid that, uh, that at this point in history we've, we've gotten that exactly backwards right now, at least here in the West. Well, and it, you know, the, I think the problem is, you know, there have been some voices, obviously not near enough, especially in the hierarchy of the Church, and when you abdicate your, your leadership position— it's hard to get that back, isn't it? It is. Um, the, from that standpoint, I think the sex abuse crisis has done great, great damage <clears throat> to the moral authority of the bishops. Uh, it has therefore lessened their, their ability to be heard on issues like abortion and same-sex marriage and so forth and so on. Um, and uh, that's that is going to be very 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 hard to uh, to get back. I, I don't I don't know that it's uh, unredeemable, but I think it's uh, we we have a long long road to to uh, to hoe to get back to to that point of moral authority. Well, and in the end, I think you know your homilies are so powerful, but it's a reminder to us, uh, you know, as husbands, uh, you know, people who have families. You know, in the end, the responsibility does fall to us. You know, at our, you know, at our kids' baptism, we're supposed to be the main teachers, but and we need to be leading with the faith, leading with the truth at home, because if we're waiting for other people to do it, then it's never going to happen, is it? No, and and I think even this uh, COVID pandemic has pointed out uh, a, a lot of that. You know, the domestic church has become more important than ever as people have been locked down and and uh, in their homes. Uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year with their children, um, I, I think it points up to us how important it is that the, uh, that the home be the domestic church, that that be the, the seedbed of the faith for, uh, for our children and grandchildren. Well, you know, um, you know the other the other issue we have is, you know, we were talking about, you know, not standing up and being the leader that the church should have been, and what you have is people who are baptized Catholics who— pervert the teachings of the church, like President Biden or Speaker Pelosi or Governor Cuomo, I mean, I could go on all day, you know, have right. kind of filled that void, and, and people look at them, and because they put Catholic, and I'll, I'll say small c, next to their name, everybody's like, well, they must be Catholic, so it must be good. That's, you know, you can't abdicate your knowledge and the teachings of the church and follow, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, uh, it, it truly is a, uh, a, a total lie, to be able to, to, to say publicly uh, that you're a Catholic and then to uh, both aggressively and demonstrably violate the, uh, some of the most basic, most cherished tenets of the, uh, of the Church when it comes to, uh, to uh, the moral law. 
and that we, we see that happening all the time. I, you know, my it my position has been that that for the last fifty years, if Catholic politicians had been faithful to Catholic teaching, our culture would not be where it is today. Our culture would not be in the position. I, I don't think abortion would ever have uh, have uh, taken hold in our culture the way it has. If only Catholic polit- politicians all along the road had uh, had stood up and said. You know, the, the, this is where I stand, and yes, my stand, my my political position is informed by my faith. Of course, the first one to say that uh, that he would not allow his religion to color his policies was uh, unfortunately President Kennedy, and I think that more or less set the tone for uh, for most Catholic politicians uh, in the interim. Well, and I was just going to go there too because he had the greatest opportunity that could have changed history, and he folded like a house of cards. And <laughs> almost to a man the, and to a woman, the politicians that we see today have, have gone, not only what he said, but even gone further and, and now just directly contradict the teachings of the Church and think they're going to be fine. Governor Cuomo's father, Mario Cuomo, yep. was, uh, was the one who first coined the expression that um, the, I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I support a woman's right to choose, which is a, an utterly untenable position. You know, um, it's the um, St. Thomas Aquinas was the one that, that, uh, that posited the law of non-contradiction. Something cannot be one thing and, and, uh, and not that thing at the same time. And, uh, and so, you know, you can't be, you can't be Catholic and oppose Catholic teaching at the same time. No, and and for some reason people buy it. I think just because it's easy, right? I mean, in the end, it's hard to stand up against this culture, right? It's hard it to to lose a job or to uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know, in in the homily, you know, to lose family, to lose friends. But in the end, Father, what in life is easy, right? I, I've you know, I've tried the easy way many times, and it's always yeah. led to a bad spot. Yeah, of course, of course. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have over- overcome the world. And we have to take him at his word. We have to have faith in, in that concept, that he has overcome the world, that he is with us, that he's not going to leave us or forsake us, and that, uh, that he's directed us to, uh, again, to speak the truth in love, even in the face of a hostile culture. So for people listening today, you know, husbands, fathers, grandfathers, moms, grandma, whoever, what can they do? What should they be doing right now, especially during this season of Lent, to get the to get the car back on the tracks? Yeah. Well, A, prayer, always prayer. Stay close to God. Stay close to the Church. Um, live out the faith before your children and grandchildren— um, you know, let them know where you stand by the things that you say, but more importantly, let them see where you stand by the way that uh, that you that you live your life, and that becomes a very very uh, compelling instruction to them. Uh, kids are are very good at picking up on hypocrisy. You know, when uh, when yep. the the walk doesn't always match the talk. And so it's important that uh, that the walk and the talk line up together and, and say exactly the same thing. Um, taking a stand for the truth, even when it can be when it's painful to do so, you know, uh, not in an obnoxious way, but always humbly, always lovingly, understanding 
that we are disciples of Jesus, that, uh, that we don't do this in our own right, but that we do it as, as ambassadors for the kingdom and for the king. Well, it, you know, I, well said, and I think people need to realize, you know, what is my desire in life to be with the Lord for all eternity? Because if it's not, you're not going to be able to do any of those things you just said, are you? Yeah, exactly. Every one of us is one day going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what we've done. And eternity is a long, <laughs> is a long time. You know, whether you live in this earth for a, a year or uh, a day or a hundred years, eternity is a very, very long time. And, uh, and we don't want to squander that. As I said a few moments ago, we're created for eternity. We are created for heaven. So everything that we do on earth, the way that we order our lives, the way that we form our lives around the Word of God, around the teaching of the Church, and so forth, is going to determine where we spend eternity. Well, and, and in the end, as, as fathers, again, as grandfathers, you know, we can, and not just pick it on the guys, but guys need to stand up and lead. The, the point is, other souls have been given to us as gift. It's not just our own. I mean, in the, if we don't set that example that you're talking about, if you're not preaching the way you're preaching, it's really shame on us. And, and we will be held accountable for other souls, too, that were given to us as gift, right? When, when I counsel young couples uh, preparing for marriage, one of the things that I always say to them is that the only product of your, li- of your life that will live on into eternity is the children that you procreate with God. The only product of your life, no matter what you do in life, no matter how wealthy you become, no, no matter what you accomplish in life, the only product of your life that will live on into eternity is your children. And that's a sobering thought when, when you consider that, because that's, a, that's such a weighty responsibility on us as parents to, to raise up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to do everything we can to help them as well find their way to heaven. You know, if that doesn't light a fire under you, I, I guess I don't know what would. But, you know, to think, you know, your kid becomes president or the greatest athlete or the best lawyer, you know, whatever the world holds of value, and they don't get to heaven, as a parent, we will look at ourselves as failures. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, Deacon Jeff, what's going on in the world today, what's going on in our culture right now, I think is, is probably a very valuable lesson as, as one by one we see more and more human institutions failing. You know, institutions that we thought were rock solid, that were always going to be there, that could always be be relied on. I mean, for goodness sake, the the, the post office can't even get the mail delivered these days, you know. Um, but if we look at, at, at a whole variety of human institutions, it's a good lesson in understanding how fleeting this life is, how fleeting the uh, life on earth is, particularly compared with eternity. The only thing that will last uh, in the end is is uh, is eternity, and so that uh, that has to be our goal. That has to be the uh, the focus of all of our efforts here on Earth. Well, and I think you know you know your homily again was so spot on. But it's a reminder to everybody that the government is not going to save us. The government is right. not our savior. Jesus Christ is our savior, and I think that was kind of your point. If you put your trust in the government. You're going to get what you deserve. Yeah, 
Amen. Amen. That, uh, it's absolutely true. Jesus promised us he, he would never leave us nor forsake us. No politician can promise us that. <laughs> he promised us that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. No politician can promise that. You know, we are part of a, of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but the kingdom of God is for all eternity. Well, and all you have to do is really read the Gospels. And every time Jesus did something, people were either trying to catch him, trying to kill him, trying to mock him, you know, you know, you're Beelzebul or, you know, who are you to do this? And, you know, the Pharisees were always after him. It's no different in our time. So when we think we're the only ones going through this, Jesus really showed us not only what will happen when you preach the truth, but the importance of preaching the truth. Sure. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And uh, and we're seeing that happen more and more today. You know, we, we really don't yet know in this country what real persecution is, but I have a feeling that we're probably going to be finding out before too very long. Yeah, well, and you mentioned earlier, right, it's the cancel culture. So if you don't agree with, with you know, at the far left, then you're a hater, you're a demon, right, you're a racist, you know, right. all kinds of names, but that's how the evil one works and if you punch the evil one in the nose, he really is a coward, isn't he? He is. Yes, he is. One of the things that, uh, that I've learned from some of the, the homilies that I've preached is that there, there is an anger out there uh, on the left that is totally irrational. It's, um, it's hard to explain it because it's, um, I, I think it's predicated on, more than anything else, predicated on fear. I think I think the people who live in the left, if I can say it that way, live in a state of uh, unarticulated fear. They don't even know why, but but I think it's because they they have this understanding that you know that one day they're going to die, and then what? And they can't answer the question, then what? But it, so it's our responsibility to answer that question for them, again lovingly and humbly to the extent that, uh, that we're able to do that, but both by the things that we say and by the way that we live our lives. Well, and that's, that's why it's not just our souls, it's other souls at stake. And, and really, we need to pray for these people, right? It's, they're not our enemies. They are people who need to be saved as well, aren't they? That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. They are not the enemy. We know who the enemy is. So we're down to about the last 20 seconds or so. How can people follow what you're doing, Father? How can people oh. kind of keep a track on oh. what you're doing so they can get the truth? Probably the best place, as you mentioned earlier, is just to go to YouTube and, um, and uh, put my name into the search, Father Ed Meeks. And, uh, you know, the, we, we put the Sunday, Sunday homilies up every week, so they're able to access them. All right. Well, Father, thank you. 